So chapter 19. In those days Israel had no king. There was a Levite. Now we're introduced to another Levite. Living temporarily in the remote region. There's a lot of Levites living temporarily in regions. They all seem to be like completely like without purpose in life. Even though they have like the greatest sense of purpose of anybody in all the tribes. He acquired a concubine from Bethlehem. So it's a wife without benefits or um, without um, rights. So he's not even willing to give this woman full rights in his family from Bethlehem and Judah. However, she got angry at him and went home to her father's house in Bethlehem and Judah. Now, a lot of your translations might say that she was unfaithful to him and left. But that might be a possibility. But the Hebrew word here strongly suggests that she is angry. Not that she was unfaithful, but that she's angry with him. And she runs away. Now, we have no idea what made her angry. The story's not interested in that. In fact, even the context suggests that she's angry and not unfaithful. Because knowing what this guy is like, I doubt he would have chased an unfaithful wife down and brought her back. She is, but we're not told why she's angry. It doesn't matter why she's angry. However, by the time we get done with this story, we're going to probably be able to take some guesses why she's angry at him for different purposes. Her husband came after her, hoping he could convince her to return. That sounds more like he's in the wrong. He brought with him his servant, a pair of donkeys, and when she, um, and when she brought him into her father's house, the girl's father saw him and greeted him warmly. His father-in-law and the girl's father persuaded him to stay and for three days, and they ate and drank together and spent the night there. On the fourth day, they woke up early, and the Levite got ready to leave. But the girl's father said to the son-in-law, Have a bite to eat, for some energy, then you can go. So the two of them sat down and had a meal together. And the girl's father said to the man, Why not stay another night? Have a good time. When the man got ready to leave, his father-in-law convinced him to stay another night. He woke up early in the morning on the fifth day, so he could leave. But the girl's father said, Get some energy. Wait until there is later in the day to leave. So they ate another meal together. And when the man got ready to leave, his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Look, the day is almost over. Stay another night. Since the day is over and stay another night here and have a good time. You can get up tomorrow in the morning and start your trip. But the man did not want to stay another night, and he left and traveled as far as Jebus. Now, what's the point of all this? You're like, man, this father-in-law is really insistent. The whole point of this repetition here is that the father is incredibly hospitable, incredibly generous. He probably has every right to say, my goodness, I told her not to marry that guy. But he's treating him incredibly well, just constantly feeding him, constantly spending the night over and over and over again. The narrator intentionally wants you to see Wow, I want a father-in-law like that. Right? This guy is incredibly generous, incredibly hospitable, and he's taking care of this guy big time. Why is that important? Because of where we're going next. So the guy insists, I can't be here anymore. So he moves on to Jebus. Jebus is what the name is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is what it will be later renamed, but right now it's Jebus. He had with him a pair of saddled donkeys and his concubine. Now Jebus is occupied by the Jebusites. It is not an Israelite town. It is, in fact, Jerusalem, or Jebus, 
has never been defeated before that we can tell in archaeological diggings and, and historical records. The Jebusites were a very messed up people group, and they were they're 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 Canaanites, Jebusites. They're incredibly immoral. They're all that stuff that we talked about in the book of Joshua. And they're the kind of people that God says need to be completely exterminated and wiped out because of how horribly evil they are. So the last place you want to be as an Israelite is in Jebus. When they got near Jebus, it was getting quite late. And the servant said to his master, come on, let's stop at this Jebusite city and spend the night in it. But the master said to him, we should not stop at a foreign city where non-Israelites live. We will travel on, travel on to Gibeah. He said to the servant, Come on, we will go on to the other towns and spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. So they traveled on, and the sun went down, and when they were, they were near Gibeah in the territory of Benjamin. They stopped there and decided to spend the night in Gibeah. And they came into the city and sat down in the town square, but no one invited them to spend the night. The guy says, we can't stay in Jebus because it's not safe. That's basically the implication. We're not Jebusites. We don't get along. It's not safe. We never, ever can stay in that city. That's bad news. So they move on to the next city, which is Gibeah. Now remember, Gibeah is where the Gibeonites are from, the one that tricked Joshua into having the treaty. And now it looks like they've intermarried with the Benjamites. So now they're in a good Benjamite territory and a good Benjamite city and everything's going to be good now because they're Israelites and they're in an Israelite city. So they go into that city and you're thinking, woo, they made it to a safe city before it got dark. Good for them. But they get into the town and nobody invites them in. Now in the ancient world, they didn't have hotels or inns. The only place that might have like a hotel or inn is like a big city like Memphis and Egypt or maybe even like maybe Jericho or Hazor. Um, but the, most towns don't have any inns or hotels. So what you do is you would walk. If you, if you know people in the town, they put you in their, their storage area. Okay? So houses were divided into three sections. The first section was the living quarters. And by first section, I mean like a room that's about three times bigger than your bathroom. So their house was about three times that. So the first section was the living quarters. That's where you ate, prepared your meals, and slept and everything. Remember, they don't have beds. They just rolled out mats, slept on them, rolled them back up, and you live there the rest of the day. The middle section was the storage room. That's where you put all your grain, your stored foods, um, your farm tools, all that kind of stuff. It's your storage area. And the back room was where you put the animals. And you would bring the animals into that back room, and that's the stable. And the body heat from the animals heats up the cave or the stone house. And now you have your heat because in the daytime, the culture they live in is very warm. But at night, it gets really cold. And so the animals create the body heat and kind of heat your home up. And that's the way it did. So when guests come over, if you, if you know them, you would bring them into that middle storage area. Now, that changes your whole because Jesus was not born in a manger. This is the way it worked. If, when they were going back, they, when it says there was no room for them in the inn, that's a European King James translation because the King James translated everything through European eyes, not through Jewish culture. It does not say there was no room in the inn. It says there was no room in the guest rooms because everybody was coming back for the census. All those middle storerooms and people's houses were all completely filled up. 
So they put him in the barn, which is the back of the house. That's where Jesus was born. Was, so it's basically like you sitting in the living room of your house or family room, really close to the kitchen, and Jesus being born on the opposite side of that room where your fireplace is. That's the idea. That's how close they were. Now that gives you a whole new perspective when all the shepherds are coming to visit them. They're like, excuse me, excuse me, I'm not here for you. That's, I'm not here for you either. And they're like, going back to the manger, people are like, what the heck? This house is getting crowded. But that's what happens. So if you don't know anybody to stay with, you go into the courtyard. And you sit in the courtyard and you wait for somebody to invite you. Because in the Eastern cultures, hospitality is huge. It's a big part of the culture. But here it says that nobody invited them in. Which means even in a culture that values hospitality, even when they're immoral, has gotten so far away from even their cultural standards that they're not being hospitable. Nobody is looking out for this guy. Verse 16, But when an old man passed by, returning at the end of the day from his work in the field, the man was from the Ephraimite hill country. This old man is from the same place that the Levite is from. So probably recognizing that this is a fellow tribesman, he decides to invite him in. He's temporarily living in Gibeah, the residence of the tower of Benjamites. And when he looked up and saw the traveler in the town, the square, the old man said, where are you heading? Where do you come from? So this guy's interested. Now, this is one of the reasons why the father-in-law's hospitality is so big or so um, emphasized because Gibeah is not showing hospitality. And it makes that lack of hospitality stand out even more. The Levites said to him, We are traveling from Bethlehem and Judah to the remote region of the Ephraimite hill country. That's where I'm from. I had business in Bethlehem and Judah, but now I'm heading home. But no one has invited me into their home. We have had enough straw and grain for our own donkeys, and there's enough food and wine for me and your female servant. And the young man who is with your servant, we lack nothing. The old man said, Everything is just fine. I will take care of all your needs, but don't spend the night in the town square. So he brought him to his house, fed the donkeys, washed their feet, and had a meal. So this guy is showing the same hospitality as the father-in-law. They were having a good time when suddenly some men of the city, some good-for-nothings or scoundrels, surrounded the house and kept beating on the door. They said to the old man who owned the house, send out the man who came to visit you so that we can have sex with him. The man who owned the house went outside and said to them, no, my brothers, don't do this wicked thing. After all, this man is a guest in my house. Don't do such a disgraceful thing. Here are my virgin daughter and my guest concubine. I will send them out to you and you can abuse them and do to them whatever you like. But don't do such a disgraceful thing to this man. The men refused to listen to him. Now, what does this remind you of? Lot and Song more. Everything so far. Angels coming to the town, a lot coming out and saying, don't, 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 go stay there, stay with me, taking care of them, the men come to the town. What's the whole point? Song Gomorrah was like this. And they were so evil that God wiped them out. So what's the point that the narrator's making to you? Israel has become the new Sodom and Gomorrah. The very people that God said they're so evil, I've got to wipe them out. Israel's not acting in the same way. Now remember, this isn't because they're gay and wanting to sleep with a man. 
The point is, we talked about this back in Genesis 19, is the point is that in the ancient world, this is about power and dominance. And for a man to take another man by force is an ultimate demonstration of power and dominance. And so this, these are their new people in the town, and they need to be put in their place. And so it's not that they're homosexuals or they're gay. The point is that they're using sex to dominate other people, put them in place, and make themselves the alpha male. We've seen this in movies with prisons, where a, guy's, a new guy will come into prison and they'll rape that guy. And if you accuse those guys of being gay, they probably will beat the crap out of you. It's not about being gay. It's about dominance and power. And, 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 and that's what it's really about. And in fact, when you go throughout the prophets, the prophets condemn Sodom and Gomorrah for their lack of hospitality, not for the homosexuality. That's why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, was for their lack of hospitality. In fact, not only were they not hospitable, but they used power to dominate and oppress other people to make themselves more powerful, the thing that God abhors the most. And so this is what's going on. And remember, this is a big part of the ancient world. Even when we get to the Roman Empire, everybody's doing stuff like this. It is messed up by the time we get to the Roman Empire. So they want to humiliate and dominate this person. Now notice, the men refused to listen to him. So the Levite, who? Priest. The priest. Grabbed his concubine his wife, and made her go outside. And they raped her and abused her all night long and to the morning. This Levitical priest, the most holy man in all of Israel, or supposed to, takes his own wife and throws her out to the men to be raped and abused all night long to save his own skin. Now, in contrast to the incredible hospitality that the father-in-law gave him, that makes him look even more evil. That there are people who are hospitable at this time. The man in this city is hospitable to him. And yet not only can he not return the hospitality that has been shown to him, now he can even show the hospitality to his own wife after the father of his wife showed this to him, he turns around and does one of the most evil things that anybody could ever do. Throws his own wife. This is a violation of the marriage covenant. This is a violation of God's law. This is a violation of decency. This is a violation of the image of God. This is a violation of the divine mandate to be a blessing to other people. I mean, I mean he's violated everything you could possibly think of in this one action. This is probably the worst sin you could probably ever commit. This is the Levite who's responsible for the holiness and the righteousness of Israel. Not only that, you know if houses are no bigger than this room and she's out there all night, he's listening to this too. And he does nothing, nothing to rescue her. And here's the point. Remember the very beginning of the story, Othniel and Caleb. Caleb is a father who is taking care of his daughter and making sure that she is provided for in the best possible way. And he gets an incredibly godly man to take her as his wife. 
and to treat her incredibly well. And then we see the role of women degrading over time and the way that men treat them. And now we're here where she is literally nothing to the priest of God. This is not uncommon for a lot of husbands to treat their wives like this in a lot of places in the world, even to this day. This is how far they've come. They're acting like Canaanites. Even the priest is acting like a Canaanite. They raped her and abused her all night long until morning, and they let her go at dawn. The woman arrived back at daybreak and was sprawled out on the doorstep of the house where her master was staying until it became light. When her master got up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went outside to start his journey, there was a woman in his concubine sprawled out on the doorstep of the house with her hands on the threshold. Now that's an image of desperation. She has crawled back to the house in the morning, and when he comes out, her hands are reaching out for salvation. The Levitical priest, who's supposed to be a model of Christ, And she's reaching out salvation to him, and he did not offer it. So she's sprawled out there. He said to her, get up, let's leave. But there was no response. He put on her donkey and went home. That's a lack of compassion. Now, I almost feel like that's like even more horrific to actually have the audacity to come out the next morning to say, get up, let's go. Like she's supposed to just be bouncing up and ready to go. So he throws her on the donkey. What's the condition of her life? We have no idea. Is she dead? Don't know. It doesn't say she's dead. She's able to crawl back to the doorstep. It never says that she's dead. That's important to understand. Never once. When he got home, he took a knife, grabbed his concubine, and carved her up into 12 pieces. Then he sent the pieces throughout Israel. Everyone who saw this sight said nothing like this has ever happened or been witnessed during the entire time since the Israelites left the land of Egypt. Take careful note of it, discuss it, and speak it. That's jacked up. He takes his wife and cuts her up into 12 pieces and mails her to the 12 tribes of Israel. Even when you watch Hollywood movies, they make a distinction that like, when people like kill people, Even people who have no problem killing people like Pukem can barely handle cutting the body up afterwards. Even Hollywood gets that that that's like. And this Levitical priest is just cutting her up. Now one of the reasons he might not be having a problem with that is because he probably has done a lot of animal sacrifices. So he's just treating her the same way. And that says something because what it really says is that to him she is nothing more than an animal. That is sick and twisted. We have gone from the Israelites who are just cutting the thumbs off of the enemy who's done this to other people. Now we're talking about a priest who's doing this to his own wife who is not guilty of doing that kind of stuff. Now I don't want to put these images in your head, but this is like your pastor doing this. This is like your pastor. This is like your missionaries doing this. I mean, that's the closest we're getting to this kind of a concept. But even them, they're not anywhere close to the holiness that God required of the Levitical priests. Emails are out. Now, that's actually not uncommon in the ancient world. To actually cut humans or animals up and send them out as a message to don't mess with me. Or um, later we're going to see there was Saul. Saul's going to cut up his animal and says, I'm going to do this to anybody's animal, to the animal of anybody who doesn't show up and help us go to war. 
So this, this is already a mentality of the ancient world where cutting things up and sending them out as warnings or messages to people is a thing. Now, it's probably not uncommon for this to be done as an animal, but even the Israelites are like, holy crap, we haven't seen this done to a human. And what's interesting, since the days of Egypt, which means they're aware of past cases, but it's been a while. 